And so recognize that your ego has a vested interest from blocking you from actually recognizing when you feel hopeless, right? Because that doesn't feel good for your ego. It doesn't feel good for your ego to feel like you don't have any aim. You don't have anywhere to go. You don't know what your goals are. You don't feel like you're growing. You don't feel like you're moving forward. You're depressed in your job or you don't feel good about your relationships. Your ego would rather you not have to deal with any of that. Well, hey there, if we have not yet met, my name is Alex Judd. I'm the founder of Path for Growth, and this is the Path for Growth podcast. Now, as a business, we exist to help impact-driven leaders step into who they were created to be so that others benefit and God is glorified. And this podcast is just another iteration of how that mission comes to life. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever used some version of the phrase, I just feel like I'm in a funk right now? Or have you ever heard someone say, I just feel like I'm in a funk right now? Well, I know that I've said that before, uh, and I know that I've felt that way before, and I was just thinking about how strange it is that I can say that or you can say that, and we understand what it means. Like, no one ever taught me what the word funk means as it relates to this situation. But somehow, you and I both know that when someone says, I just feel like I'm in a funk right now, well, number one, we know it's negative. Number two, we know it means that something's a little bit off. And number three, it means that, man, that's the type of thing that you want to get out of. And I just felt like, man, that's so weird that we have this universal acceptance that funk is bad and I want to get out of a funk. But then I started to ask the question, okay, like, What is it and what's actually going on whenever that happens? And so one of the things that I decided to do was run a little bit of an informal poll with the people in the Path for Growth community. And so we were doing a business and leadership workshop. And one of the things that I kind of asked was just a a series of questions about personal growth content that I said, you know, is any of this kind of really applicable to y'all? And one of the things that I included in the series of options that I gave them was what is a funk and how to get out of it? And by and large, above and beyond all the other topics, hands went up for that one. It's like, okay, this is something we're paying attention to. And so for the past handful of weeks and months, I've spent a lot of time thinking about and assessing myself, like when I get into this funk, what are the most effective strategies that I've found for getting out of it? And then I've kind of cross-referenced those with things that we work with people on within Path for Growth Coaching, whether it's a funk associated with their business or their personal life. And then I've kind of cross-compared that with some of the interviews that we've done here on the podcast, like the one we did with Melissa Urban, um, who's the founder of Whole30, and and some of the other things that I've been studying and reading. And what I've found is one of the things that we talk about is there's patterns, and where there's patterns, there's principles. And so what we're going to talk about today is how to get out of a funk. But as with any topic like this, it would probably be wise to start by defining our terms. And so uh, anytime you want to define a term, probably the best place to look is the intellectual bastion of knowledge known as Urban Dictionary. <laughs> you, I hope you can hear the facetiousness in that. But I, I looked this up in Urban Dictionary, and it's kind of funny that there's actually a definition of this. And here's what it says. It says, temporary sadness, feeling sad and down and not knowing why, no motivation to do anything and always tired, almost like you're missing missing something, but don't know what it is, like a small phase of depression that only lasts a couple of days or weeks. Man, what was so interesting to me whenever I read that after I found it is, I think we have a tendency 
as human beings, and, and I see leaders do this a lot, and I see myself do this a lot, to cover up tough realities with language that makes it more socially acceptable. Think about this for a second. What's harder for you to tell your friends or for you to tell your peer group or for you to tell the other leaders that you're connected to or to tell your colleagues? Is it harder to say, man, I'm just feeling temporary sadness. I'm feeling down. It just feels like this small phase of depression. Or is it easier just to say, I'm just in a funk? <laughs> way easier to say I'm just in a funk because it's way less vulnerable, right? For me, a funk is like, oh, well, they've got their stuff together. They've got their stuff figured out. This is just this weird little anomaly moment and I don't fully know what it is because it's called a quote funk, right? And we don't like talking about, man, I'm sad. I'm down. I'm feeling a little depressed right now. Oh, that's heavy. Get that away from me, right? Let's just call it a funk and put a nice bow on it and then it's socially acceptable. And so one of the things that we should all start by recognizing is we have this ability to create and use language that hides the truth. And one of the things that you need to do as a leader is constantly and regularly evaluate, am I being open and truthful with where I'm actually at? right? Because the example that Urban Dictionary uses whenever you're seeing this word in action is it says, Megan really seems like she's in a funk. And one of the things that you need to focus on as a leader is making sure that your words are communicating the reality of where you're actually at. I read another definition of what it means to be in a funk, and the definition said it, temporal hopelessness. I mean, that's pretty heavy. That feels way heavier than just, oh, I'm in a funk right now. And I'm not saying we can't use the language. I'm just saying, man, you better not use the language as a matter of escaping reality. And it's so interesting that a lot of times I think our first response is to escape reality. It was so funny as I was doing research for this topic, I literally looked up on Google how to get out of a funk. First result that came up was an ad by brightside.com and it said, we prescribe antidepressants. Now, I know there are medically proven reasons and actually really effective reasons for taking antidepressants. But what I'm saying here is that sometimes we use stuff like that that represents an escape from our current state as a first response. And in reality, something like that should probably be a last resort, right? And, but this does mean that we do have to respond. It's just not responding as escaping, Right, so how do we deal with it head on and how do we actually change the way we're responding to the funk, to the temporal hopelessness in such a way that we're not living in a rut? And so that's what I want to talk about today. And we're going to talk about four actions. And then there's one principle that I want to highlight at the end. So we're going to talk about four actions. Own it, talk about it, jolt your way out of it, and then practice healthy growth. So let's start with own it. Why do you need to own it? Well, it's a principle that we teach all the time at Path for Growth. You will never fix what you refuse to see. And as a human being, you have this outrageous, remarkable capacity for self-deception. You have this incredible ability to not see things that are true, but deeply uncomfortable. And the things that are often deeply uncomfortable are related to yourself. And so recognize that your ego has a vested interest from blocking you from actually recognizing when you feel hopeless. 
right? Because that doesn't feel good for your ego. It doesn't feel good for your ego to feel like you don't have any aim. You don't have anywhere to go. You don't know what your goals are. You don't feel like you're growing. You don't feel like you're moving forward. You're depressed in your job or you don't feel good about your relationships. Your ego would rather you not have to deal with any of that, right? And so it takes a person of outrageous courage to say, no, I'm not going to deceive myself and walk around like this clown saying everything's okay whenever deep down there's this disintegration that knows that everything's falling apart. I'm going to hit it head on and I'm going to own it. And how do you own it? Well, you own it by naming it. Because again, you never fix what you refuse to see. And so a lot of times we live in unawareness of the things that we should be most aware of. But then whenever we escape from that sense of denial and we say, this is a problem, this is an issue, this is where I'm actually at, well, then we need to name what this is. And there are a lot of different ways that you can do this. This is why journaling can often be so helpful is because you need to get to the bottom of what's actually going on here. But one of the tools that I've found to be most helpful is what I think of and what I've heard taught as the five core emotions. And so we'll use all of this language like frustrated, disappointed, afraid, anxious, stressed out. And these are all peripheral words to what at least this exercise would say are the core emotions of what's actually going on. And that's the question that we're asking whenever we're trying to own something is what's actually going on here? And so one of the things that I've found to be incredibly helpful for myself as part of this first step of getting out of the funk, of owning it, is defining what is the core emotion. And there's five, anger, shame, sadness, gladness, or fear. Now, if you're like me, it can be really, really difficult to actually define what you're actually feeling, and it can take some time to really get there. And so what I would tell you is, especially if you're in a leadership role, it would be really wise for you to carve out time to be in touch with your emotions. This is why that morning time is so important. This is why morning journaling and prayer time for me is so, so, so crucial because that is where the margin exists for me to get to the bottom of what I'm actually feeling. And it's crazy. As you exercise this muscle in the morning, you will find yourself more able to access the muscle later in the day. So if you want to be a, someone that is extremely emotionally aware and present with regard to your emotions, start practicing it. And one of the things that you'll learn is, man, if you can develop that muscle in the morning, you'll be able to tap into it in the afternoon and in the evening. And that can be really, really good for you to recognize, man, I'm annoyed. What does it mean I'm annoyed? It means that I'm angry. And then you can start to figure things out. Emotions lose their grip on your mind and soul whenever you label them. Remember that. And so that's what we're learning to do here whenever we own something is we're saying, what's actually going on here? What am I actually feeling? And I will tell you with regard to a funk, for me, a lot of times if I find myself in a funk, I'm feeling fear or shame and sometimes anger. For me, it's some cocktail of those three emotions, right? What is fear? Like there's a lot of unknown things that I can't control or determine. And that makes me scared because I don't know the result, right? That's how fear sometimes shows up for me. What is shame? Well, guilt is I did something wrong. Shame is I am something wrong. And so it's this kind of overarching uh, or undergirding sense of, I'm not okay and I'm not enough. 
And I will tell you, I've worked with leaders for a long time now in very, very vulnerable one-on-one conversations. And I think it's one of the things that is most prevalent, but least talked about. I think one of the common core emotions that often lies under-acknowledged in the leader's heart is the emotion of shame, of this deep-seated emotion that I am something wrong and I'm not enough for what is required of me. And so that would be worth recognizing. That would be worth dealing with. I can tell you for sure that's the one that I have to wrestle to the ground, and that's the one that can so often be at the bottom and in the middle of my funk. So I would tell you there's a lot of leaders that I've worked with that are the exact same way. What's another one? Well, another one is anger, right? There's passions inside of me that have become unresolved, and that makes me frustrated. That makes me angry. So number one, think through what are those emotions. Number two, think about how those emotions manifest to you, anger, shame, sadness, gladness, fear. And then whenever you find yourself in a funk, own it and label it. What is the emotion that is driving my current state? So that's what we mean whenever we say own it because you will never fix what you refuse to see. Okay, number two, talk about it. So you can start this process by yourself, but this process can't stay by yourself. And this is the part of the process that I am most prone to avoid, and maybe you'll reckon with this too, but it's also the part of the process that might be the most essential because sustainable growth never occurs in isolation. Think about that for a second because it's a, it's a pretty powerful concept that although we agree with it conceptually, we don't align our actions with it very often. Sustainable growth never occurs in isolation. And so if the greatest blocker to your growth in this season is this quote unquote funk, this season of temporal hopelessness, this temporal state of sadness and depression, then sustainable growth in that area will not occur by you being the lone ranger that tackles it on your own. Yes, we need to start by owning it and naming it, and that can often happen on your own. And for some people, some personality types, it's best that that happens on your own, but you can't stay by yourself. And I will tell you that if you want to sustainably grow in this area, whatever is causing this funk, then the next thing you have to do is you have to cultivate the courage to talk to someone about it. And so let's think about why we're talking to someone about it. Well, we're talking to someone about it as a means of introducing rationality and discerning the source of what's actually going on. So again, why are we talking to someone about it? Because that takes a lot of courage. There's going to be all these reasons why you tell yourself, oh, I don't need to talk to someone about it, or I shouldn't talk to someone about it, or, or that's not necessary for this thing. Well, why do you need to talk to someone about it? Well, you should talk to someone about it as a means of introducing rationality. When you're in a funk, when you're feeling temporally hopeless, you're just not a very rational person, and you don't perceive things logically, and you have an inability to look at things objectively. And so therefore, you've got this lens over your eyes that just colors the world in this black and white way, and you need someone around that can see color, 
right? They can say, hey, you're not seeing this correctly. You're not seeing this accurately. And unless you're willing to let them into the details of the situation, which most of us often avoid, you won't be able to get that rational perspective because you can't provide yourself with a rational perspective on something that's deeply emotional. And I will tell you, your funk is almost always deeply emotional, not rational. So number one, whenever we bring someone into the conversation with us, whenever we start talking about the funk, well, we're introducing rationality. What else are we doing? We're working with them to discern the source, right? We're talking about, okay, where is this actually coming from? What's at the core of all this? A lot of times what we initially see is symptoms, but what conversation can help us do is it can help us get to the source of things. This is why it's so crucial to talk about it. Now, why would you not talk about it? Well, I'll tell you, pride. That's why I don't talk about things, right? Pride. Pride is the thing that will keep me from talking about things with people because pride is either this expectation of myself that I need to present an image of having it figured out. That's one that leaders struggle with. Or pride is the belief that I can do this on my own. And more often than not, it's a combination of both of those things. It's this idea that, man, I've got to look like I've got this all figured out. And then number two, I can handle this on my own. And what I would tell you is both of those things are lies. You don't have to look like you have everything all figured out. And in reality, when you try to look like you have everything all figured out, that is a total lack of humility. And in some ways, it's, a, it's an act of deception because you know just as well as I do, you don't have it all figured out. And so that's probably not very healthy. But then number two, not only do you not need to do this all on your own, you probably can't at least not sustainably. You've got to get other people involved. The Lone Ranger approach to leadership in life, it's been tried and it hasn't worked. And I don't think I would really put my money on you being the first one to figure it out. And so we've got to have the humility, which what is humility? To have an accurate viewpoint of oneself to say, man, I can't do this alone and I'm not even going to try. Now, within this, I think it's always good for us to address the question, who do you talk to about these things? Because especially if you're in leadership, this is one of the things that I've learned is you've got to be very discerning and very careful about who you talk to about these things, not only for your sake, but for their sake. Okay, so let's walk through some criteria of who we're going to talk to about this stuff. Talk to someone you trust, number one. And I'm not just saying trust them to keep things confidential, um, although I think that that's going to be necessary because if you're actually going to have the guts to share the details on what's actually going on in your heart and mind and soul, like you should be able to, to be vulnerable, then you need to trust that, man, this conversation that I'm having with you is staying with you. But more than trusting them with confidentiality, because that's base level trust, what I'm saying is, do you trust them to operate in your best interest? This is really important because one of the things that would be wise to understand is that there will be people that you can talk to about things that because of a wide variety of reasons, especially if you're in leadership, maybe jealousy gets involved, maybe contempt gets involved, maybe instability on their side of things gets involved, maybe lack of rationality or wisdom on their side or experience on their side gets involved, and they are unable to serve your best interests. Maybe they can serve your current interests, but they, they can't serve your best interest in that regard. And 
that's just not helpful, right? And so what do you not want? Well, you don't want someone that's going to overly solution this thing with you, right? Have you ever been in a funk before and gone to someone and talked about it? And the first thing they give you is a list of five to 10 things that you need and should be doing that you're not doing. <laughs> that is just so wildly unhelpful. So number one, if someone ever comes to you in a funk, don't be that person that says, oh, let me give you this stack of books and let me give you a list of podcasts you should listen to. And oh, you should take this action and this action. And this. <laughs> oh gosh. I mean, so often what you're doing there is you're saying, okay, you're struggling with shame. So let's pile on more shame. <laughs> like you're telling me that you don't feel like you're doing enough. So let's give you more to do. Probably not a great strategy, right? In fact, really bad strategy. And so you want to make sure the person that you're going to is not just going to be a fixer. Now, that doesn't mean that they can't help you drive towards a solution, but there is way difference between someone saying, you need to do this and you should do this versus them helping you work to find a solution. So number one, if they're operating in your best interest, they're not going to be overly solution oriented and just give you a checklist to follow. Number two, you need to trust that they're not going to give you advice that's destructive, that's ultimately destructive. Man, it scares me sometimes how uncritically people accept advice. And specifically, I'm talking about advice that they receive online. I will tell you, there is a lot of advice being doled out today that is marketable, but just because it's marketable doesn't mean it's helpful. And I'm talking about helpful for the long term. I'm talking about helpful for your life, helpful for the business you actually desire to build in your soul, helpful to be the type of person that you want to be, to be the type of spouse that you want to be, to be the type of parent that you want to be, to have the type of body that you want to have, right? All of this stuff. There's a lot of advice out there that is outrageously marketable that isn't actually long-term helpful at all. And so I would tell you as a leader, it would be very wise to be very discriminatory about where you get your advice. And this applies to your relationships too. Who are you going to talk to whenever you find yourself in a funk? Well, number one, make sure that they're not going to overly solution. Then number two, make sure they're not going to give you advice that's actually destructive because that is actually way more possible than a lot of us, I think, often reckon with. Who's a great example of this? I think Job in the Bible is a wonderful example of this. Many of you probably know this story, and it's probably a little bit reductionist to say that Job was in the world's greatest funk, but you get what I'm saying there, right? If anyone had a reason to be in a stage of absolute hopelessness, Job was the guy. And certainly, um, maybe even more than temporal hopelessness, I mean, probably his situation with regard to him losing everything, his family, his property, his, his health, everything going out the window all at once, right? You can see how that can end in deep-seated depression. And so, one of the things that Job does is he reckons with reality, which is really good. He doesn't deny it. And then he talks to people about it. But you know this story, he gets a lot of really bad advice. There's a lot of people that tell him all the things that he should be doing that he's not doing. And it, and it was, we know from the biblical story, most of the people that he sought counsel from or that he went to told him that he was doing something wrong when he wasn't. They tried to overly find solutions. They tried to give him techniques. They told him that it was his fault. And man, that's advice that is totally and completely destructive. So it's a great example of the fact that you should talk to people, but make sure that you talk to the right people. 
and make sure that you have relationships, you have people in your life that are going to give you advice in these situations and lead conversations with you when you're in these situations that serve your best interest and not just your current interest. This is why I would tell you having a mentor, a counselor, and a coach are all wise things. And I I will tell you, you could have one of the three, but why not have all of the three, right? I have all of the three. I have a counselor, I have a coach, and I have a mentor. Uh, many mentors, thankfully. And and that is just so helpful because they are people that I've entrusted to receive really good sound advice that is operating in my best interest. So number one, you're going to own it and name it. Number two, you're going to talk about it. Number three, we're going to jolt our way out of it. This, this one is so much fun and can sometimes be really, really hard and difficult, but it's something that I've learned that has truly become part of my strategy. So first, we're going to own it and we're going to say, okay, what's actually going on here? Number two, we're going to talk about it. And then out of talking about it, it could even be helpful for you and the person you're talking to to say, okay, what's the way that we're going to jolt our way out of this? Because that is step three. So when I say jolt, what am I talking about? I'm talking about reorienting your mind, your body, and your emotions. This is so cool, but often I think misunderstood and not widely accepted. Here is what I believe. The way out of hopelessness is not by reflecting on how hopeless you are, right? Turns out that you don't find aim by spending all of this time thinking about the fact that you don't have any aim. Turns out that you've got to shock your system. Turns out that you've got to work yourself up. Turns out that you've got to take responsibility for your heart, your mind, your soul, and recognize that your physiology often Often changes your psychology. And so you have the ability to jolt yourself, to move yourself, what Tony Robbins would say, to change your state. If you want different results, start doing different things. But so often we say, oh, I'm mopey, so I'm just going to reflect on how mopey I am, right? Have you ever been in one of those stages where it's like, man, I'm just so sad. So what am I going to do? I'm going to listen to all of the sad songs on Spotify, right? Have you noticed that there's sad playlists on Spotify? And I get it. It's like sometimes you need to sit and sometimes that's really helpful to actually figure out what's going on and all that. But man, if you're ready to get out of it, then don't go to the sad playlist. Choose a radically different playlist. Change your posture, change your body, change your surroundings, change your attitude, change your morning routine, change what you're eating, change your environment. We're saying that if you want different results, you got to do different things. And so you've got to change. I get so worked up about this. The neighbors are going to hear me, right? But that's what we're talking about when we're talking about jolt. We're talking about reorientation. We're talking about, no, this is not minor change. This is not small habits. This is not little tweaks. This is you saying, I'm going to shift everything to get a different result. Now you could hear this and you could say, wow, that sounds way different than any message I've ever heard on Path for Growth. Because so often what we talk about is that small actions create big results and you need to create a system of daily habits and it's what you do daily that creates the person you become permanently and it's consistency, not extravagancy that creates lasting results. That is true. All of that is true. But when you are in a funk, it's not the gradual things you do. It's the massive actions you take that will radically get you out of that state. Now, we're going to talk about this here in just a second. We're not going to do this forever. This is like maybe for 10 minutes, maybe for a week, but 
there will be a time when this massive jolt changes and then we're going to move to step four, which is practice healthy growth, which is all rooted in your habits out of that. But man, if you have the guts to name it and then you have the courage to talk to someone about it, then I I promise you the thing that will create the force that will be necessary to get you out of a rut is massive action. You're going to have to move with a greater velocity at this thing than you would have to in just normal situation. It's like running uphill, right? If you're running uphill and you want to get to the destination at the same pace that you would if it was flat, you have to run faster and harder. And it's going to feel a little bit more painful. And so that's why one of my examples of jolts is sometimes if I'm in a funk, one of the things that I'll do is I will go find the biggest hill and I will do hill sprints like a lot of them until I'm just like dying. And it's crazy. I finish that. I say, okay, I'm going to do 15 hill sprints as fast as I can, right? I'm dying by the end, but you know what happens? I get this dopamine hit. I feel more social. I feel more alive. I feel more hopeful. I feel more accomplished. I feel more excited. I feel like I've grown. I feel more driven to eat healthy food because you changed the state. So I want to give you some examples of what this looks like to reorient your mind, body, and emotions. I will tell you, oftentimes, the most effective format of a jolt for me is to do something physically really hard, but it's not always that. And in having conversations with the customers that we work with and in observing this in other people, I will tell you, uh, this takes different forms for different people, but I will tell you, it always demands discomfort. Because you're doing something different, right? So it's not going to be you sitting down and doing something that's outrageously comfortable. So let's walk through some examples. And one of the things that you'll recognize about this is that some of these could take as little as five minutes. Some of these could take upwards of a week to a month. And what I will tell you is that your jolt should be proportional to your funk, right? So, man, if you're in a pretty deep-seated funk, then you're probably going to need a pretty deep jolt, right? But if you're just like at this moment in your day where you're just like, huh, I just feel tired and sad and not really hopeful, then if it's just a moment, right, then maybe your jolt just needs to be a moment and you just need to change your physiology, change your state. So let's walk through some examples. Whenever I get into one of those moments where it's like, I'm tired, I'm exhausted, I'm not focused, I'm very distracted, I'm feeling down on myself just during the day, push-ups or burpees, right? (laughs) This happens sometimes whenever we have meetings as a team, I'll just stop and I'll just start doing push-ups, right? And so helpful, it's crazy. If we're trying to solve a problem and I'm feeling blocked with regard to how we're solving the problem that's currently facing us. It's crazy. I'll sit there and I'll feel stuck. I'll feel in some ways hopeless. In some ways, I'll be focusing more on the problem than the possibility. And so if I if I have the wherewithal and it takes wherewithal to recognize that and just stop and do 30 push-ups, then I get up after that and your entire disposition changes with regard to how you're looking at the problem. crazy. Like it's the thing that I wish everyone did, but so few people actually do. If you just get up and get your heart rate moving and change your posture and stand up and walk around, do some push-ups, do some burpees, jump around, turn on a great song, dance a little bit. It's crazy. You will look at all the things that you were looking at before, but you will look at them with an entirely different frame of mind. And man, as goes your thoughts, so goes your life. And so if you can change your frame of mind and change your state in that regard, that's a jolt that can create radically new decisions. 
So number one, push-ups or burpees. Next one, uh, sometimes time at a coffee shop to write. If there's a lot that I really need to get to the bottom of, and sometimes this can be a really deep jolt, sometimes what I need to do is go to a coffee shop to write. But we're not writing like uh, frou-frou writing. I'm saying we're writing like, what what are the details of what's going on right now that I need to get to the bottom of? Like, what are the things that I'm avoiding? What are the things that I'm not acknowledging? What are the things that I'd rather not talk to anyone about? What's going on here? And write those things down. Another one for me is worship. Um, Man, something about live worship. I mean, I think this is biblical. And I also just think experientially, this has been true for me, is whenever you go into a live worship situation, that has the ability, probably more than anything else on this list, to change your heart and change your soul. And what does it say? Guard your heart above all else, for out of it flows everything you do. And so what does that mean? It means you're changing the posture of your heart. And if you change the posture of your heart, well, man, your actions are going to change with that. Uh, Another version of a jolt for me is just spending time writing down what I'm grateful for in this season. It's amazing how that changes hopelessness. Also, this is one that I've uh, gotten into a lot since starting this business is a brutally vulnerable conversation. Sometimes that can be a counselor. Sometimes that can be with a coach. Sometimes that can be with a dear friend of mine. But just like calling someone or telling someone like, hey, I'm going to talk for a little bit and I, I just need you to listen. And I, I, I need to know that I'm not a crazy person. And it's crazy. It's insane. And it's insane how helpful it is for you to share what is actually going on all up in your head, which you can write some pretty crazy narratives in your head and to be brutally vulnerable, just to be outrageously exposed with it and then realize like, man, I'm not a crazy person. It's okay, right? But that's a jolt. We've already talked about this a little bit, but an outrageously hard workout. And this is why I love 1500s. Those are super helpful in this regard. I love hill sprints in this regard. But just doing something that's really, really hard and really, really different from your normal routine can be really good. Sometimes I'll line up like a sprint or a challenge. And this is something that I've done in the past. There was a time, gosh, it was a few years ago where I just felt like I I didn't fully know what was going on at work. And there were some things that had happened that I was a little bit frustrated with. And I had lost a kind of belief in some of my goals that I had been working towards. And I just felt a little off. And I I don't know that I use this language at this time, but I was definitely in a funk. And so I, I didn't have this process at the time. But one of the things that I thought of was I just need to do something hard. I just need to have something to focus on. And so I found this trail. It's the red trail up Percy Warner Park out of Nashville. And maybe some of you have ran this trail before. I've ran this trail with some of the people that listen to this podcast, which is kind of awesome, but it's like a five mile trail. And I just said, man, I'm going to get up every single morning this week, really early, like before the sun rises, put on a headlamp and do the red trail every morning. And it was really cold outside. That was so good for me. It was so good for me just to have something that it's like, my goal is to get to Sunday and say that I did this every day, right? It was a jolt. Now, was I going to do that every day for the month or for the year? No, absolutely not. But for that week, I could totally drive to the red trail and do that every morning. What we're talking about here, though, is so interesting. It's a leadership tactic that I think we could actually do a lot more content on disrupting yourself. The question is not, will you be disrupted? The question is, who is going to do the disrupting? And man, a jolt represents disruption. You're going to change up your routine. But if you're in a funk, you will be disrupted. You will be shaken out of that. I would way rather you do it with a struggle that is voluntary rather than you having struggle thrust and obligated upon you. 
Sometimes for me, it's just a really long shower to get to the bottom of my thoughts. Sometimes it's just extended time outside. Sometimes it's extended time away from a phone. Sometimes that's saying like, I'm gonna turn my phone off for the day and gonna be away from that. These are all examples of jolts. Now, these are the ones that have worked for me in the past. I'm not saying you have to use any of these. What I'm saying is you need to find an activity that represents discomfort that will reorient your mind, body, and emotions. There's not a right way to do this. You can change what you're eating. You can change how you're working out. You can change how you're spending your time. What matters is just that you do something and make it for a specific amount of time and just go for it. But what I want you to recognize is that this is the exact opposite of escape. Because when you are feeling temporal hopelessness, that is the time when escape actually looks most lucrative. And what is escape for people? Well, it's maybe not actually owning the truth and living in lies. But then what does that result in? Well, that results in disintegration. And what does disintegration often result in? Well, alcohol, drugs, pornography, escape, right? It's me meeting a legitimate need in an illegitimate way. And it's saying, I'm not going to deal with what's real. I'm just going to go to all these things that are fake, that are false, that aren't healthy, that aren't wise, that aren't good, that don't contribute to the person that I'm called to be. I would much rather you define a jolt that is healthy and wise and hard. And you reorient your mind, body, and soul and say, man, I'm going to fight the funk and this thing is not going to get the best of me. And I'm going to have other people involved and I'm going to shake this thing up because we've got to shake it up. Now, within that, we need to reflect on a principle that alludes to our next point. Jolt as a method is outrageously effective. Jolt as a lifestyle isn't. And so this is the difference between what we talk about at Path for Growth and what so many personal growth conversations will talk about is some people describe jolt as a lifestyle, right? And they will say, okay, now that you've established this new state, you need to do this for the remainder of time. And I will tell you, not only is that not sustainable, oftentimes it's not life-giving or healthy. And so as a method for reorienting yourself, outrageously effective. But from there, what do we need to do? Well, we need to commit to practicing healthy growth. What is healthy growth? Well, healthy growth is when we intentionally create habits, patterns, and rhythms that are actually sustainable and will create the desired results. So what are the desired results? Well, it's related to the type of person that you actually want to be instead of the state that you find yourself. And so we have to reorient ourselves with the jolt to start thinking clearly and to start thinking optimistically about the future. Future, but then we need to say, okay, how do we make this sustainable? Because extravagancy isn't sustainable. Consistency is sustainable. And so what do we always teach about healthy growth? You've heard me talk about this on this podcast before. Healthy growth is a decision. Number one, you decide. You decide the habits. You can decide to grow. You can decide to move forward. You can decide to be something different six months from now than you are today. But number one, you have to decide. So out of the jolt, you have to say, okay, what am I going to do? This can literally sometimes look like for me, like I will finish the hill runs and then I will immediately take notes on my phone or pull out a notebook and write down, okay, what is the habitual rhythm that I'm committing to? Because I've changed my state and now I need to make a commitment that is consistent right? But we're not going to say, what could I do? We're going to ask, what would I do? What would I do every single day? Because the things you do daily create the person you become permanently. Healthy growth is a decision. Next, healthy growth is a practice. This isn't about extravagancy. This is about consistency. This is about you making daily deposits. 
The jolt is about you stepping up to the plate and hitting a grand slam. Healthy growth is about you just getting on base every single day. It's about maybe even smaller, you just taking a swing. And so remember, healthy growth is a practice. And as with any practice, we're going to make some mistakes. We're not going to be perfect, right? Excellence is our goal. Improvement is our goal. Perfection is not. And so healthy growth is a decision. Healthy growth is a practice. Third one, healthy growth is identity-based. So out of the jolt, one of the things that I want you to reflect on is who is the person, the leader, the man, the woman, the Christ follower that I am called to be? And out of the person, man, woman, leader, parent, Christ follower that I'm called to be, what are the things that I'm going to do? But root it in who you are called to be because healthy growth is identity-based. And what's so cool is this is often so helpful in comparison to the funk as well. Because when I'm in a funk, one of the things that my closest friends or my counselor or my coach will often tell me that is probably most helpful is when they just look at me and they say, this isn't you. This this hopelessness, this sadness, like this isn't who you are. The fact that you screwed up in that area, that's not who you are, right? And so, man, that's so refreshing and healthy to hear that whenever you are in a funk. But then what's equally healthy and refreshing is to remember, well, who are you and who are you called to be? And it's kind of that challenge, but also encouragement that you are not what you could be. And that's awesome. But that's also like a little bit of like, you better get your act together because you are not what you could be. And so who's the person that you're called to be? Who would you be at your absolute best? What is the highest version of you that you could possibly conceptualize that would be of greatest service to others? And then out of who you're called to be, what are the things that that person would do every single day? Maybe they'd make their bed. Maybe they'd sweat every single day. Maybe they'd read 10 pages every single day. Maybe they'd get in their Bible every single day. Maybe they'd pray for 10 minutes for people in their lives that they care about. Maybe they'd turn their phone off whenever they pulled their car up from the office at home and and just spent the next two hours just making outrageous eye contact with their family. Maybe they'd be the type of person that is willing to go there in the conversation and ask people the tough questions. Maybe they'd be someone that's outrageously generous. I don't know. You know what you're called to be. And then out of that, what are you going to do? So we said we're going to own it and name it. We said we're going to talk about it with someone we trust. We said we're going to jolt our way out of it, and then we're going to practice healthy growth. And I truly believe from my experience, that's how to get out of a funk, right? But the final thing that I want you to remember is that your effectiveness as a leader and your effectiveness as a person is not measured in your ability to be perfect, And I think that that applies here because I think sometimes we can get in this like state where it's like, man, I worked myself up. I did all these hill runs. I I did all these burpees. I get all sweaty. And then I establish all these habits. And now I've got this rhythm and I've got a track record of doing these habits and I'm working them and I'm getting after and we can feel so good about ourselves. And sometimes you get a little bit prideful and you say, this is me now. I got this. I'm perfect at this now. And we set this expectation that it's like, I'm never going to fail ever again. It's not going to happen. The days of me being in a funk are completely over and gone. I'll tell you, I've talked to people that are older than me. I've talked to people my age. I've talked to people that are younger than me. The funk isn't going anywhere. The funk will return, right? And and this season is just that. It's a season. And so 
it's probably wise for you to set expectations properly and recognize, man, I'm grateful for the season that I'm in and this isn't going to last forever. The funk will return. And also I'm not going to be perfect at all these habits. But that's when you need to ask yourself the question, what's your standard? Is your standard perfection or is your standard commitment? Because if your standard is perfection, then the minute you fail or falter, the minute you have an off day, the minute you don't follow through on some of these habits that we're talking about, the minute you find yourself back into a funk, it's going to crush you. Because if your expectation of yourself is perfection, your expectation of yourself is unrealistic, and therefore, whenever you confront reality, it's going to be devastating. And what are you going to do whenever faced with the devastation of reality? Well, you're going to fall apart. And all you're going to give up on all of your habits. You're going to say, what's the point? And you're going to just say, just screw it, right? Just screw it. Have you ever been there before where you just say, just screw it. I'm done. I'm done growing. Not good because that will plunge you into a deeper funk. What's a better option? A standard of commitment. I'm going to do my best. I'm going to own my mistakes. I'm going to always improve and I'm going to keep moving forward. Do my best, own my mistakes, always improve, keep moving forward. And so when we fail or falter, that's never a question of our standard because the standard is, are we committed? Am I doing my best? And that's how you win the day is when you've done your best. And when your best sometimes isn't enough, what do you do? You own it and you say, okay, it's time to improve. It's time to get better. This is for developing my character. This is for developing my perseverance. This is for me moving forward. I'm developing humility and patience. And there's things that are being done in this season where I just have to keep moving forward and never quit because this is not about me being everything that I need to be today. This is about me always improving every single day. Y'all, if you're in a funk right now, uh, know that we're rooting for you and really, really commit to these actions. Remember to own it. Remember to talk about it. Remember to practice healthy growth and remember that your standard is commitment. Your standard is not perfection because the most effective people that I know are not perfect. The most effective people that I know are just deeply committed to their rate of recovery. How quickly can you get back on track? Hope this was helpful for y'all today. As many of you know, we send out content that is a lot like this content here in the podcast in written form every single Wednesday. We call it Worth It Wednesday. So if you want to get a principle worth learning, a question worth answering, and a recommendation worth taking, you can sign up for that email that I write on pathforgrowth.com or in the show notes of this episode. Y'all, we're rooting for you. We want to see you win. Remember, my strength is not for me. Your strength is not for you. Our strength is for service. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go.